thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. The Real Food Real is a fresh and educational podcast dedicated to your health. We get real on current research, debunk food myths, and educate you on how to just eat real food. Your host, Steph Lowe, the natural nutritionist, is one of Australia's leading sports nutritionists, passionate about simplifying nutrition and addicted to coconut lattes, smoothies, and sweet potato. If you love the show, then please leave us a review on iTunes. Share the real food real with your friends and continue to spread the real food love. In episode 146 of The Real Food Real, we are joined by Sal, Adam, and Justin from Mind Pump. Their podcast, Mind Pump, Raw Fitness Truth, exposes the raw truth about health, fitness, nutrition, and so much more. In today's episode, we do exactly that, bust some of the biggest health-related myths. I need to put a language warning on today's episode team, so please tune out now if you have sensitive ears. Let's welcome the team from Mind Pump to The Real Food Real. Hi, guys, and welcome to the show. Hey. Hey, Hey, how are you? Very well, thank you. So there's three of you, so we're going to try and negotiate our microphones and make sure we don't speak over each other um, as much as possible. But I'd love for you guys to introduce yourself to the audience and tell us more about your backgrounds and what you're up to with Mind Pump. Awesome. So we host a fitness podcast called Mind Pump, but before that, we all met in uh, ninja training school. We were all trained yeah. to be uh, ninjas uh, in the night. And Sal's uh, really good with the nunchucks. Yeah. I'm better mm. with the stars. Yeah. Justin mm. doesn't really have any attributes that he's good with. I but do both staff. Yeah. What are you talking about? Yeah. Yeah. I'm all about both staff. <laughs> no, all, joking, yeah. all joking aside, we, we've all been in fitness for a long time. I've been in the industry now for about 20 years. Uh, started off as a trainer, managed uh, large health clubs, owned my own wellness facility. Uh, Adam and Justin followed kind of similar patterns in in uh, in their paths in fitness, and we all really all met short right before we started Mind Pump. We all met and uh, sat down and talked about the direction of the fitness industry and some of the problems that we saw with it, and how most of the information that is disseminated through the fitness industry is false. And uh, we thought a podcast would be a great idea to communicate um, some of our ideas and some of our experiences that we've had training, you know, thousands of clients and also training hundreds of trainers. Yeah, we and, wanted to cut through all the BS and kind of get to the heart of the matter because it's really hard to get good quality information uh, in this space. And so we felt like compelled to really kind of speak out on certain topics and issues. We feel like a, a lot of our clients were coming in with questions and uh, we wanted to kind of clear the air. And so Mind Pump is been sort of our, our, our mission to kind of uh, explain what is really the true things to focus on. Well, let's be honest. I think that, uh, you know, I don't know what it's like over in Australia, but over here, it, fitness has only been really popular for the last 10, maybe 20 years. I mean, of course, when Arnold came on the scene and that the, was the first big spike, but it's really only gained a lot of traction in the last 10, 15 years. And most of what's out there right now is marketing that's geared towards everyone's insecurities because that's the way to sell you know you you hit the you hit the hot button because they're insecure about a body part or being overweight or not enough muscle or whatever it is and so all the information that that's around the web right now and and put out there on social media platforms most of it's garbage because most of it is geared and to poke at people's insecurities to make them feel bad about themselves to get them to buy something and you know mind pump just wanted to come in and kind of help people filter through a lot of information because there are some there are some good people out there there are some authors that are writing good books and but most of those guys and girls are not the ones that are in the limelight they're not the ones on the cover of magazines they're not the ones that are on television they're not the ones that we see and people hear about those are all these are all fitness celebrities that are basically put in a place uh, to be, you know, a visual for everybody. And then the marketing and sales teams behind them are the ones that put out all the content. And, you know, a lot of people don't understand that they don't know how to read studies. They don't know uh, if this is good information. Cause I see a guy in a lab coat who's saying that this plus this equals that. And, and so, you know, being guys that, you know, the three of us have all been in the, the fitness industry and in the field for 15 to 20 years now. And like Sal said, we've trained thousands of clients and hundreds of trainers. And so, a lot of what we do on Mind Pump is we've shared a lot of our personal stories and a lot of the bullshit that we were sucked into. I mean, we are just as guilty as uh, some of the people that are marketing and selling now. But 
at that point in our lives, we're in our early 20s and we were kind of doing what we thought was right because our company is telling us this is how you market, this is how you sell these things, this is how you make money. And the way we really measured our success was if our clients got results, but more importantly, if we made more money. And that's really how it's been done for a long time. And it wasn't until, you know, probably 10 years later for all of us, did we really start to kind of piece that together and say, man, are we really helping people? Because when I look at it and I think of myself as a pretty talented trainer, I think maybe less than 20% of my people actually see long-term results and then keep it off forever. So what am I really doing? Am I really helping that many people? And I think we all were kind of at that point in our lives. And, and when we all got together, uh, it was instant chemistry and we all started talking in the room and sharing the same stuff that we're talking about right now. And it was like, you know what, we need to get on a podcast and we need to share this with other people. And it really started with those intentions. We wanted to make uh, we wanted to cause some waves. We wanted to shake some things up. So we definitely came in with the shock and awe approach. Our our first motto or T-shirt that came out with our, when we started was zero fucks. And the the, <laughs> the idea was that we were we're gonna we were gonna come after it was all a great the, T-shirt. Right. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Yeah, right. yeah. Great for our I think church. We sold twelve. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although a lot of people want us to bring that one back, but yeah, we came out like that where we were just we came after all the big dogs, all the companies that were making big money pushing all kinds of supplements. And uh, that was how we got our first bit of attraction. And since then, we've kind of put together a little formula where we try and entertain and educate people at the same and the, time. The best part of it is that early on, we got uh, we knew we were doing something right when some of these companies came after us and wrote us letters and told us to stop recording these episodes. Yeah. And it was the most like, encouraging. Yeah, they're paying attention to us. It yeah. was the most encouraging thing we could possibly, <laughs> we, we could have ever seen. And little did they know it would just uh, encourage us even just more. Just fueled so, the fire. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. Yeah, I love that. And it's not dissimilar to like our why, obviously, to dispel myths more so in the nutrition space, but they're very much connected. And I, I know you have many food myths that you'll probably touch on with us today. So I love the, the, the vision that you guys have and how passionate you are about separating that, that fact from fiction. So it's awesome to, to have you on our show today. Um, I would love to actually get the ball rolling on the conversation around what you guys do or what your thoughts are around calorie counting because we know that's one of the big myths in the food space and um, what have you seen over the years and, and what do you now teach? This is this will be a fun one for us because <laughs> we all have kind of a different opinion on it but collectively there is some things that we all agree on and one of the things, I'll start with what we all agree on, is that it's it's the first step towards the level of awareness that you need in order to sustain this long term. And what I mean by that is if you don't count or track or pay attention to what you're consuming ever, the likelihood of you ever figuring out exactly what your body needs to be fueling it properly, to feel good, to look good, to move good, uh, is very, very unlikely. It's just it's you know, you're you're throwing darts at a dartboard with your eyes closed. You know it's just not mm-hmm. ideal. Now that being said, um, that also could lead to a very poor relationship with food. Also, and it's also there's also the you know the misconception than that 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 is the answer that the answer is uh, eat less calories than you burn to lose weight, eat more calories than you burn to gain weight, and there's a lot of misconceptions around. Now, first and foremost. People don't realize how we figure calories in food to begin with. And it literally is. I mean, I'm going to really, I'm going to make it super basic and simple. I'm going to dumb it down. But they'll burn uh, a macronutrient and they'll measure the amount of energy that's put out. And that's a calorie. And that's how they'll measure. And and, uh, anybody who understands the human metabolism, uh, even a little bit, realizes that that's not how the human body works. So number one, calories can be pretty inaccurate. It's also uh, the human body doesn't work that way. And the second thing is we've been doing this for so long where we've been telling people, you know, it's all about calories, grams of proteins, grams of fat, grams of carbohydrates. It's not working. Why isn't, why isn't it not working? Why isn't, why aren't people still gaining more weight? Why is our health still declining? And this and, is why we focus a lot more on the psychology, really, of what's well, going we, on. Well, we all went through the same thing at one point in our careers. I'll never forget the day when this happened for me. I remember the woman that sat in front of me, and it was about three years into my career. And and I had gotten really close with her, and we became friends, and she was about 100, over 100 pounds overweight. 
And I w- this was a client that I, I cared so much about her results that I, I remember going to her house and going grocery shopping and pulling stuff out of her cupboards. And she was sharing with me literally every time she consumed food and it just wasn't adding up to me. This girl was eat. She's a hundred pounds overweight and she's eating like 1100 to 1200 calories a day and she's not losing any weight. Mm-hmm. And it was at that moment that I realized like, okay, there's, there's more, to, there's more to this than just mm-hmm. the law of thermodynamics, which we've been teaching for so long. Like there's something that's not adding up. Like this girl is literally calling me every time she consumes food and telling me what she's eating and I'm adding it up. And it's like, this is the thing. Everything's not adding up here. It doesn't make sense to me. There are the, the there are behaviors that lead to uh, the decisions that people make uh, when they you know choose foods to eat and when they overeat and when they uh, undereat or you know all the decisions they make. There's behaviors that that motivate those. And what we need to understand is what is causing those behaviors. And there's a that's a very complex question. And there's a lot of uh, different answers to that. One of which is. The types of foods we eat, you know, in, in the past, if you had asked me this five years ago, you know, what's the most important thing to factor in or what's the first thing you should factor in, I would have said calories and macronutrients will, you know, are probably the most important. Well, now I'll say food quality yeah. is more important. And the reason why I say that, because if we go black and white, if we just go black and white, yeah, sure, you need to eat X amount of calories and you need to make sure you have a certain amount of protein and, and fat and carbohydrates, you can throw those in too. But, uh, you know, the quality of your food really has a huge impact on the on your behavior, on everything from satiety to cravings to, you know, the times of day that you eat. And it, it, that's what the food quality does. I mean, eating these highly processed, um, engineered, specially engineered foods, um, it, it's going to be very difficult to eat the right amounts and to eat the right types of foods. These foods were designed and engineered specifically to hijack those, those signals in your body to hijack your, your natural systems of satiety. Um, you know, uh, we had Chris Kresser on, uh, the other day and we were interviewing him and he was saying, you know, if you took a baked potato and you just steamed it and left it totally plain and told somebody to just eat, you know, a, a thousand calories of just plain potato with no salt, no butter, no nothing on it, it'd be very difficult. You, you, you would hit, you know, you'd get what's called palate fatigue where you, you're, you just don't want anymore. It just feels kind of, doesn't taste good. But if you throw some butter on it, some salt, or maybe you mix it with something else, next thing you know, it's not a problem. And so that's an e- that's kind of a basic way to explain what happens when we eat these highly processed, engineered foods. And so if we don't, if we just look at calories and don't pay attention to that, you're you're in for this long struggle where it's it's all about discipline. It's all about I need to force myself to not eat this and to eat that. And we all know how long that lasts. Mm. As soon as motivation is gone, well now you're screwed. And which is, leads us to another myth that you need to have be motivated to do this. You know, relying on motivation uh, is a, a that's that's a that's a, a, a false fail. hope. It's a false hope because motivation, like anything else, is a state of mind that we have sometimes and we don't have sometimes. And well, what happens when you don't have that motivation? Like we see with a lot of our clients, they fall off the wagon and it becomes this: I'm on, I'm off, I'm on, I'm off, and. Nobody ever succeeds long term, and we end up in the like with the problems we have today. So when you're counting calories, to me, it's it's like I said, the first step to becoming aware. Because most people, and if you've ever trained clients or helped someone out nutritionally, you know that they most people are completely just oblivious of what they're consuming, and they're just they had no idea that they were way over consuming sugar, way under consuming fiber, way over consuming fats, and their protein's not right. Like so, most people that have never tracked before are typically just way off. And that's because they're totally geared to their cravings. Like Sal was saying, they've been eating all these foods that have been hijacking their their palate the whole time that that's the, what makes their decisions. Oh, this sounds good or I want this because I'm craving that. So just by getting them to first become aware of, okay, well, what exactly are you consuming and eating? I think that's a good first step, but it's in, you have to evolve behind beyond that. That's a lot of what motivated us. We just recently released our intuitive eating guide and it just came out last week, and it was pretty funny because in there, there is no recommendations for calories. There's no recommendations for macronutrients. Yeah. It's literally teaching people how to eat intuitively and then how to learn to listen to the body's natural well, there's signals. There's a lot of work to be done as far as like understanding like your natural signals that your body's already producing, and, and we're just we're, – we're in this state where we're just so oblivious because we're, we're just constantly – flooding our body with calories and, and uh, dismissing a lot of these signs and signals that the body's telling us that, you know, there's something off with what I just ate, but it's, it's a normalcy. It's, this is what's normal to me right now. And, 
just to be able to step away from that and understand when you reintroduce things like how that affects your body, listening to that, responding to it appropriately. These are things that people aren't really teaching. Yeah, well, I think we've all lost the ability to recognize those signals because we've been trained to follow a food pyramid or standard guidelines that have really dysregulated our metabolism and our ability to be in touch with our body. So where do we draw the line then between obviously food quality is our number one priority, but you can still eat too much, right? So what are your thoughts on that and how do you explain that to a client? it is, and it's. But I will say this: it's, uh, it's pretty damn hard if you eat all whole, natural, organic foods. I and I normally do this as kind of a challenge to teach clients that are like, if I ever would put a meal plan together, and they go, like, oh, "I'm so hungry," and I'm like, "All right, here's the deal: here's all these foods that you can choose from. Eat them to death right now. Go for it. Eat them to death, and you'd be surprised how many people have a hard time consuming those when they're working within those parameters of whole and natural foods. Now that being said. You can. Absolutely, you could if you tr- absolutely tried to overconsume that. And that goes back to the why I think you know, everybody should count at one point. I think everybody needs to go to at least – it's kind of like we're, we're asking people to do algebra but then think that you're going to skip going through basic mathematical addition and subtraction. It's, you're, you're just, it's not going to work. Like If you don't first teach people addition and subtraction first and get the basics down, you can't expect them to piece algebra together. That's the same way I look at nutrition. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach you – basic addition and subtraction, which is basically basic counting calories. So you have somewhat of an idea what's going on. Then the evolution of that algebra or the evolution of that is intuitive eating, which is now learning to navigate and try and pay attention to the body signals. And in our guide, this is what we we talk about. We kind of give people steps on, you know, this is what you do and these, and then we list like all these different things that you're trying to pay attention to, like your skin, your hair, your sleep, your energy, you know, your mood, all these things are affected by the way you're taking care of your body. And trying to get reconnected to that because you're right we have completely dismantled that with this the poor choices the terrible food pyramid that we've been following forever but you can get it back well think of it this way uh most of us connect our foods to one signal and that's a craving so you know i crave that you know cupcake or i crave that soda but we don't connect it to what how we feel uh afterwards or a day after or a week after so we don't we don't really have that connection but when, when you help people make those connections, you know, I had, a, I'll give you an example. I had a client who every morning she would eat uh, a bagel. This is what she would have for breakfast every single morning. And she always suffered from uh, being, feeling bloat uh, or bloated later on in the day. Now I suspected that it uh, had to do with, you know, something she was eating and I thought it was a bagel. And so I helped her make that connection. And so now she started to connect the bagel to the feeling of being bloated. And naturally she stopped craving that bagel because it no longer was just the taste of the bagel in the morning. It also now represented how she felt later on. Now, another example, that same client hated vegetables, absolutely could not stand vegetables, didn't like the taste of them. Little by little, I I had her introduce vegetables into her diet and she also started connecting the vegetables to how she felt as well. She noticed that her skin looked better. She noticed that she had better digestion, better energy. She was sleeping better. And over the course of a few months, she started finding that she craved vegetables as well, mainly because she, she connected those foods to things that were positive. Now, for people who are listening right now who are saying, oh, that doesn't, you know, that doesn't work, well, marketers have known this forever. This is why they have beer commercials with hot chicks in the background, <laughs> why when you go to the movies, you crave popcorn. Why do you want popcorn so bad when you're at the movies? There's that psychological connection. Well, you can do that yourself with foods as well by uh, bringing up your level of awareness, understanding how it's affecting your body. In the beginning, it does require that you have to write things down and pay attention. But once you start to make those connections, then the decisions you make become more natural and the, de- the natural decisions that you make are the, tend to be the right ones. The hardest part though is this, and this is where most people struggle with, is like what Sal is saying, like you, there's people that are listening right now, I guarantee it, that are like, I feel great. I have a soda a day. I have my, you know, you know, snack in the afternoon that's in some wrapper and some other process bullshit later on. I don't feel fine. I don't know what he's talking about. So why would I change the way I'm eating because I feel totally fine? And that's just because their body has become adapted. It's become very efficient. And the original feeling that they had when they probably put that in their mouth the very first time, however many years ago it was, their body probably did respond and try and tell them something and they just totally ignored it and they kept going. And this is what happens to people with most foods 
is they start, they keep stuff. The first time that, that somebody goes and eats Taco Bell or McDonald's or something like that, I guarantee they didn't feel amazing afterwards. They just don't remember the very first time. And now that they've had it a thousand times, they feel they feel what they think is fine. But the problem well, is there's that diarrhea. Again. Right. right. Yeah. <laughs> what happens is this. They just don't know what it really feels like for them to feel great yet. They think they yeah. feel good right now. They just don't know what great feels like because they haven't gone through the steps in order to feel that. And once you help people get there and I all we highly recommend like an elimination diet just to kind of start you off. And we talk about that in the guide and say you first got to kind of pull all these things out and you got to be consistent with it for a little while. And then if you think if you really think that the bagel wasn't bothering you, then reintroduce it and then pay attention. But you got to first pull it out and let it be out for a while. It's no different than the way people do drug addiction. If you're going through some sort of a, you know, drug or pill or alcohol addiction, you know, and you're drinking beers, five, six beers a day, or you're popping pills every single day. You feel fucking great. You don't feel you don't. There's nothing going wrong at all. You feel fine until you take it all the way out. And when you first take it out, what happens? People go through that relay. Oh, I don't like this. Oh, oh it doesn't feel good. Hold on. Get through that. Let your body get back to homeostasis where it wants to be. Now, after you've been cleaned out for a while, now you can re reintroduce that and then pay attention, though, this time. This time, when you go to consume that, pay attention to all the signals that Sal was talking about. Yeah, for sure. And I teach it as the flow-on effect. You know, in a lot of the seminars that I do present, I will say that 330-itis is a direct result of your previous food choices. And you should see the light bulbs go off in the room. People think that 3.30-itis where they want the sugar or the coffee or the nap under their desk at that time of the day, they think it's normal. They think it's just part of what they have to go through. They don't actually realize that it's because of the bagel or the toast or the cereal that they had for breakfast. So I love that you guys are unpacking this because it is so powerful when you realize that flow-on effect. It's it's a it's a challenge though. It really is a challenge to get people to connect to that, and because most people don't really understand how the body adapts. And and we when we first started, we spent a lot of time talking about the muscular adaptation. That's what Maps our programming stands for, and that was really what we spent a lot of time. But it's very very similar to the same concept that we apply with nutrition. Is a lot of people don't realize that when they've been eating this way for a long time, their bodies just become efficient. I mean, if you're going to continue to throw poison in it, it's still going to try and survive. That's the body's job. The body's job is to try and survive. So no matter what you throw at it, it's going to try and get better. Well, psychologically speaking, you adapt in the sense that you accept it as uh, as normal. Mm, and that's mm. part of the adaptation problem. Uh, uh, you know, part of adaptation as well is that psychologically speaking, if I have you know, if I have an injured foot or if my if my foot doesn't function properly, I'm going to notice it a lot at first. But after a long time, my body adapts and I'm going to walk with a limp and it just becomes part of my normal. Well, God, if it's been if it's been 20 or 30 years like that, I'm not going to know the difference until, you know, I fix my foot. And then I'm going to walk in and be like, whoa, this this is totally different. It's no different with nutrition. So people are just living in this 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 state of, you know, suboptimal health not really realizing what their body and their mind is really truly capable of. You know, they come to us because they want to lose weight because it's a very outward expression of the body trying to adapt to poor nutrition or, you know, low activity. And of course, you know, there's the aesthetics to that, right? Nobody wants to look uh, overweight. Um, but when you start to address it from this standpoint, now, now we're looking at long-term success. Now we're looking at people who can um, get to this particular goal but now it becomes a part of their life and, and they stay there forever. Well, this is what I meant by how we we put together at one point like, man, we really aren't helping people. That's the reason why we were only helping 20% of our clientele was because, sure, and the, the, those 20% were the ones that could prove that they could discipline. Like they could live in a calorie restriction diet. They could exercise every day really hard for three months. And, yes, yeah, so they saw results. Like, okay, well, yeah, no shit. Anybody can do that. But what ends up happening to those same people? They end up – that does, they can't maintain that long long term. So then all of a sudden they're on the wagon, off the wagon, on the wagon, off the wagon. And it's until you start really diving into these things that we're talking about right now that will people start to connect and then long term be able to stay in that physical, mental, healthy state for the rest of their lives. And it, it's a process. It really is. And it's not sexy to sell. It made my it made it very difficult for Mind Pump to make money <laughs> when we first started. Uh, we had to grow really, really big before we could even even monetize this thing because it doesn't sound sexy. I mean, our message is completely opposite of the average. We give you the pill called reality. Yeah, it is. It is, <laughs> and it's hey, guess what? This we, we're not going to sell you a thirty day get shredded challenge. We're going to tell you, you know what? 
it's going to take probably a year, maybe two. I don't know. It could take longer. Like it, this is a process and a journey. I'm, I'm 15 plus years deep in it and I'm still putting things together about my body. You just got to be okay with that. The goal really is to just be better than the version of yourself yesterday. You're always trying to improve upon whether that be mobility, nutrition, you know, training, doesn't matter. Like we're just always searching for a better version of ourselves. And I think if you just approach it that way and you're okay with it being a process, it's, it's much easier for people. Enjoy the process. Right. Yep. Yeah, so let's take this full circle. Um, we were talking about calories, obviously, and the awareness to what you're actually eating. So I personally encourage all my clients to track in an app such as MyFitnessPal or, or a variation of that. But people are really resistant with the time it takes or whatever their bullshit excuse is about why they don't want to do it. So do you have a similar experience and what are your thoughts on the, or how you encourage people to track their calories? Absolutely. This, so if we really think about it logically, like we really break it down and slow down for a second, how much time does it really take to put your food in an app as you're eating that it. Out, that already calculates yeah. it for you. Yeah, it's, it, it doesn't It doesn't take long. They really don't want to know. Yeah, that's <laughs> it. Just be, that's, no, no, that's 100%. Yeah. What Justin said is 100% correct. It's not the time. It's the slowing down and becoming aware. Uh, many people, they don't want to be, although they say they want to lose weight, I don't want to be faced with the reality that I'm eating a lot because I'm depressed or because I'm bored. Or, or that I'm making really bad choices. Re- making a really bad choice. Um, it's funny. I had a client who, what she would do is she would enter her food into her her app, and I was working with her. But she she would tell me later on because I'd get on these phone calls with her that when she would go to the grocery store, she'd walk by the aisle, you know, the the, the candy in the bins that they have in some of these grocery stores. Mm. I don't know how they have it out there in Australia, but here in the U.S., you'll have these bins of candy or chocolate almonds or whatever. And every time she'd go to the grocery store, she'd grab a couple handfuls out of it. She wouldn't pay for it. She just eat it while she was grocery shopping, and she wouldn't count it because she didn't buy it, and that was it. If you don't pay for it, it doesn't count. If you don't pay for it, and we talked, and we talked about it, and and she started to realize, holy cow, like I'm doing that because I'm trying to not be aware, because I'm purposely trying to encourage this behavior by not slowing down. I mean, if if people if people just stopped every time they ate, if they stopped and gave themselves two minutes and said, okay. Should I be eating this? Is this what I really need? Is this really fueling my body? Is this fueling my my emotional state? Why do I want this food? Uh, the decisions we would make would be much better. That alone. But you don't want to do that because now you're facing the reality of the decisions you're making right in front of you. So these are the conversations you have to have with these clients and say, look, uh, first and foremost, you're not going to have to enter your food for the rest of your life. This is just right now. And part of the fact, you know, the fact that you have to slow down to enter it it's part of the reasons why it's so effective because we're actually making you take the time to pay attention to look and see what's inside that inside that food. But of course, it doesn't stop there. You have to continue with the training because just knowing what's in food doesn't necessarily help. Well, uh, as we've seen in studies where you know fast food restaurants will put labels on their food showing how many calories and many people actually eat more uh, because they use it as a <laughs> They, they compare two foods and realize, oh, I can eat that double cheeseburger. It's only 200 more calories. I think I'll do that instead. Yeah. You know, so information doesn't always help, but well, it does a lot. Some, some people are just flat out not ready. And I think, I think I, it took me a long time to get here, but it, I definitely have been there now for a good five plus years in my career where if, I, if someone gives me pushback like that, I go right back at them and say, listen – I, I, that's totally fine. You don't have to track. You're just, you're just not ready to learn then about your body. Like you don't care about the goal that you're saying you want to do that much because this is part of it. Or you're saying to me that you just want me to put you on some caloric restriction and give you a bunch of exercises to do for the next six months. And absolutely you're going to get, I, I can get you there for sure. I can put you on some crazy caloric deficit and put you a bunch of exercise together and you will get in shape in six months. But what I can't tell you is you probably, or what I will tell you is you probably won't keep it off and you'll probably put on more after you're done. So if that's all you care about, then yeah, we could do something like that. And if you don't want to put the little bit of effort into actually kind of paying attention and allowing me to teach you and educate you on the things that you're consuming and why these certain foods affect you this way and, and the most subtle changes. And we talked about this uh, just recently on a podcast where when you first start off the very first week, it's something that I changed later on was 
I stopped restricting anybody. I don't care if you were 200 pounds overweight. I actually started by adding things to people's diet. And I would add where they were lacking. I would like say, listen, for one week, I don't want you to try and impress me. I don't want you to eat good for me. I want you to eat like you normally. If you eat a Snickers bar at two in the afternoon, eat your Snickers bar. I want to, I just want to see your patterns and I'll have them just show me. And that's like, that's week one with me is you have to do all that. And then I look and there's a lot of common things. It's very common that I see the over or, uh, overconsumption of sugar grossly, like, like over a hundred percent more than what they need. Most people are doing a hundred plus grams of sugar a day. They don't even realize, and they don't realize it because they're not eating sugar. People think that yeah. if I don't drink, uh, if I don't drink soda and I don't eat candy, I'm not eating sugar. And it's like, no, most, most half the grocery store is low, is got sugar infused in it to make sure you like it. And so making them aware first of that, most people under consume fiber. So I got to help them out with, so those are all things that I can add into the diet, right? So I can say, listen, here's are some foods that are rich in fiber that I want you to start to add. You're not getting enough green, so here's a salad I want to add. So I add things in their diet, and then we assess how they feel afterwards. And it's amazing when you take somebody who is thinking that they're about to go on this huge caloric restriction, and you spin it on them, and you tell them you're going to add things in their diet. It really changes the game. Like It turns into something different that they're not, they weren't ready for. And I think most trainers go right away to this, like, okay, let's see where you're eating. You're, you're overweight. So let's start taking away some stuff. And it's like, no, most people need to, to tune their engine before you start cutting things or revving it up really hard. Like taking away calories and ramping up exercise is revving that engine. I need to tune this sucker before we start doing that. And by tuning for me, let's, if I'm tweaking, tweaking this, tweaking that, that's the fiber, that's the protein, that's the carbs. Well, psychologically the speaking too, it's, you know, they're eating, you're telling them to eat more. I mean, you're adding healthy things to their diet, but you're telling them to eat more. And a lot of times it actually results in them restricting naturally other things. Right. Now, you said it, Sal, the other day, you add two salads, you add, take somebody who's hundred pounds overweight and you just say, listen, I don't want you to take any away, but I want you to add two salads a day. Like right away, it's just like, okay, they'll naturally end up probably replacing Many some, times some crappy meal that they mm -hmm. were eating, right? Mm -hmm. So it's it's a different it's a different way of getting people to kind of start the process of tracking because they're a little more excited and encouraged if they're not being told that you're going to restrict all this stuff. And that's where you get a lot of pushback and Justin hit it right on the head is, you know, I, they just don't want to be aware. I don't I don't want to be aware. I want you just to tell me what to do and I'm going to get there and it's like, well, that's not very realistic, and I think spinning it on its head by telling people to actually add things to the diet kind of changes their perspective on on uh, the whole the whole diet concept. Yeah, but that comes back to satiety, obviously, doesn't it? When they're adding in fibrous vegetables or healthy fats and foods that they were probably lacking in, finally right. they're eating foods that are nutrient dense, high quality that provides them with that inbuilt satiety. I mean, no one overeats broccoli, right? Right. Yeah, I love that. That's a good concept. Um, Adam, I listened to um, I listened to all of you guys on a recent podcast, but Adam, I believe it was an example of your wife. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it speaks to what you were saying before about not being ready. And I think you guys have you know quite an approach with the journey that you take someone someone on in terms of what you teach them first. I think the conversation was um, that your wife was saying, "Oh, you know, why hadn't you told me this earlier?" Am I right? Yeah, yeah. And can you tell us more yes. about that approach? So Katrina has been, we've been together for six and a half years now, and I didn't get a hold of her diet and her training program until three years into the relationship. And, and a lot of that is just uh, an old wise trainer now. You know, I've been doing this for a long time. The, the younger whippersnapper of me probably would have told her uh, to try to try to tell her how to eat and exercise when I was you, you know young, dumb, and full of cum. But now the the older version of me is a lot more patient and has waited for her to ask the right questions. So you know she was an athlete. She played uh, college basketball. She was always in good shape, and she was uh, she used to run to get in shape. Like if she ate a little little too much or fell off the wagon for a month or two, she would get out and she'd go run a few miles every other day and get herself back into what was pretty good shape. And in her eyes, she was in good shape and she was in good shape. Like she definitely was in good shape, but she did nowhere near had the body that she has now. And who am I to tell her what her body needs to look like? Like I know what I'm capable of because what I've been doing for a long time, I knew I could sculpt her and shape her like she's never, <laughs> never done before. 
but I wasn't going to impose that on her because that would be my goal. That's not her goal. And so I just kind of let her kind of do her thing and, and would just, she'd watch what I was doing. She saw that I never did cardio. And I think it was when I got into competing when she was really like, okay, you got to show me this. Cause you know, when it's one thing to, you know, be in shape, but it's another thing to see someone go to that extreme level. And she watched me really change my body pretty rapidly uh, and consistently because for the first time when I decided I was going to compete, I had, I had never been so um, regiment about everything. I mean, when you have to get on stage uh, in 12 or 16 weeks, uh, every day counts. Like every day I'm tracking, paying attention, and there is there is a plan all the way up until the day I step on stage. And so when she saw that and when she saw how much I morphed my body – she was kind of like, okay, you got to, you got to show me some things and tell me. And I said, well, the first thing that we, we got to do is we're going to eliminate all your running. And she was looked at me like I was crazy mm-hmm. because, uh, I was explaining to her that, you know, you are teaching your body to become efficient with its calories. You're running all day long and the body is getting adapted to that. And that's not benefiting you when it comes to building muscle and losing body fat. It burns calories manually, but it doesn't do it automatically. And we want to set your body up to where it will automatically start to burn calories. And she didn't really understand what I meant by that at first. And she just said, okay, well, just start me off and kind of tell me what we're going to do first. And we did. We eliminated cardio. I started to teach her how to train properly in the weight room. Because in the past, the way she trained in the weight room was very circuit-based, everything high intensity, everything was cardio-based to burn, burn and sweat. She would, her, her way of getting a good workout was how much she sweat or how far she ran. And which is very similar to many, many people that I trained in the past. And I knew that if you have, especially a collegiate level athlete who's in pretty good shape, it's very difficult to break through to them and tell them that they're doing things wrong or they could be doing things better. I think that's a better way to say it. It's like, you're not necessarily doing things wrong, there's a much easier approach for what you're trying to do. And so getting her to start strength training, she never had deadlifted. She wasn't squatting properly. She wasn't overhead pressing. So I got her doing these barbell movements, which is like what our MAPS program is. And I had her start following our MAPS program. I got rid of her running. And then I taught her how to pay attention to what she was eating. And she was in a very high carb diet. She now uh, pretty much follows a very, very close to a ketogenic diet. So when, when I uh, introduced her to uh, ketogenic eating, and, w- and when I did that, it wasn't like follow this meal plan. It was you're grossly over-consuming carbohydrates. You're under-eating good fats. Let's see how your body responds when you do that. And her body just, it responded so well. She noticed her energy. She, she, used, to have, uh, she used to get acne on her back, and she was very self-conscious of that. And she just thought her whole life that she had, she just would break out in her back and that was normal. And she contributed that to probably how much she was sweating when she worked out. She had no idea that was a response that she was getting from how high, high carbohydrates that she was intaking. And when we put her on the ketogenic diet, her skin, her skin got better. Her hair was better. Uh, she never felt bloated anymore. She just thought that was also a part of just, you know, when I eat, I get bloated. That's just how I feel. And so many of these things started to come together for her, but it was, it was me giving her a little bit at a time. It was, you know, stop the running first. Now let me introduce, you know, heavy barbell lifting for you and teach you that it's okay. Even as a woman that you can lift three to five repetitions, it's not going to make you bulky if we're eating correctly, getting rid of all these processed carbohydrates and introducing healthy fats. Yes, we can have butter. Yes, we can have bacon. We can have things like that. But in teaching, so I would just slowly give her little bits, but every time I would give her something, I'd only give her like one thing. And then I would, I would, I'd ask her questions to, to help her connect what she was feeling. And so it's the same approach that I do with clients. I think uh, a mistake that some trainers make is they throw the whole kitchen sink at everybody. Here's your diet. Here's your workout routine. Here's your cardio. Here's all the stuff. And then people, of course, of course, if you add all that to somebody who was doing nothing, they're going to see change, but if you actually start to implement one thing at a time and you have them master that one thing and then also, more importantly, connect them to the signals that their body's giving them for doing those things. Like, hey, how good do you feel that you don't have to run five miles every day? Like, I bet your knees feel great. I bet your ankles feel good. I bet it feels great after you lift those heavy weights. Like, how do you feel the next day? Like, and you start helping her piece those things together. Uh, and now she's like, it's, she loves, she loves to talk about it. She's like one of the best people I always recommend when a, when a girl who's asking me about weight training and being afraid of it and, and is a big runner, I'm like, go talk to my girl. She's, she'll, 
tell you her whole journey. And, and she lived with me for three years and was still that before I got her to kind of switch over and do that. And then she's, you know, she's forever been changed. And she thinks it's so fascinating that she's in the best shape of her life at 37 years old. And she does, has it ran a mile in, I don't know how long. So that was, uh, that was kind of how that all happened with us. Yeah. And I think it goes back to your earlier point, Sal, about how it's a, it's a journey in terms of it can take a year. And I think it's important for, as the practitioner to meet the client or meet the person where they are and to understand what they need to do first and in what order, because not everyone responds to getting the whole nutrition plan or the whole program or both. I think that can be really overwhelming for a lot of people. Um, and certainly they can take it too far and, and I guess move it away from being like the lifestyle that we're trying to create here. I actually, I actually think that m- that's most people. I think that we don't, re- I think a lot of professionals don't realize that that's most people. Most people, if, if what we're all talking about right now is this whole becoming more aware and intuitive and understanding what healthy foods are doing for you. If you change everything all at once, you're, you're not making it easier for these people to make a connection to how this is helping them. Well, not only that, but we don't realize that, you, you know, we, people identify with the things that they do every day and the way they live. It becomes a part of who they are, which is, you know, it's a mistake, but it's natural. We all do it. So if you tell somebody to change everything, I mean, it's funny, like, uh, you know, I'll, I'll work with a client and it'll be very obvious and clear that they have an intolerance to dairy, for example. And then I'll tell them, hey, I want you to try to eliminate da- dairy from your diet. And it's almost like I told them to change their religion. You know, like, oh my gosh, I got to, I, what am I going to eat? I, Is this I, all directed at me? I have no, it could be. <laughs> I, I got to have dairy or, you know, I got to have those foods. It's a part of who I am. And so you got to do things one small step at a time and you have to meet them where they're at. And always remember as a practitioner that if they're doing something, it's still better than the, what they were doing before. Hmm. I've had times when clients have come and seen me hmm. and they train me you know, train with me once or twice a week. And, you know, I'd sit down with them and I'd tell them, you need to work out more. And if you don't, you're wasting your time. And then they'd get upset and never come back. And I didn't do them any good. They didn't get any better off. And, and, uh, you know, after doing that for a few times, I realized, you know, they were better off seeing me once or twice a week, even if it wasn't enough, it was still better than what they were doing before. And it gives us time to slowly move them in the direction of that, you know, that we know they need to go in. So it's a, it's a process. It can be as slow or fast as the individual, they have to be ready for it. Uh, but if we don't understand that, we're never going to succeed as practitioners. That's such a good point, too, because that's such an ego-driven thing, you know, as a practitioner, too. You, like, you really want to make a change and an impact in, in every one of your clients. And, you know, sometimes you just you don't reach them right away right. or you, you can't get them to uh, even even a place where you feel like you should be at that point. And uh, it's frustrating. And, and just like Sal said, like there's been points where you just let them go and, and you're like, well, f- obviously, you know, the, it, this isn't working like they're not ready for me or, you know, uh, meanwhile, you should have just kept kept them close to you and, and kept, you know, like them going through at least the process of it. Right. And giving them one thing, it's kind of like circling back to your question about the, you know, what do you guys do with somebody who doesn't want to track food? And if, if someone isn't ready and they're not ready to learn about themselves, I can't force that. And so for me as a practitioner, I'm starting to think of, okay, what are other things that I can get them to start to do that I can start to make that connection that I can help them in other areas? Like, okay, so maybe this person doesn't do that. So, and here's a a simple one that changed my life. Like I was notorious for being on my cell phone in my bed till 11 o'clock at night, just on my, on my emails, on social media, whatever. And I've always been somebody who has candy crush. Yeah, yeah. I actually never got into that game. I did. And so I would be, I would have trouble sleeping. I always had trouble sleeping. And of course, if you're not, if you don't sleep well, that affects the next day and your energy levels and your workouts. And, you know, it's a, it's a main part of our lives is our sleep and making sure that we optimize that. And just simply by putting a habit in where I shut my phone off by 7 p.m. It's just a habit. I say, okay, no more. I, that gives me all day to work. I can work all there all day till 7 p.m. But then after that, off my phone. And it has totally changed my sleep patterns now. And that has totally made my life better. And so I look for other things that I could potentially help somebody in that may be less of a hurdle for them at first. Like maybe tracking calories is just so daunting for them. Or maybe it's not daunting. Maybe it's more like what Justin Sal said. It's more like it's in their face and they're not ready for that yet. They're not ready to become aware of how bad they're eating. But maybe I can help them somewhere else. Maybe I look at their, I have them track, they, they wear a Fitbit and I see that they 
only step 3000 steps a day. And so I encourage them to do a 30 minute walk, you know, every other day or something. And so I start with these little tiny hurdles to get them over. And then, then I help them. Hey, how do you feel now? You've been walking every other day now for 30 minutes. Not a lot, not crazy, but are you noticing energy? Are you noticing this? And of course they will. They'll absolutely will start to feel better if they start moving their body more. And so look for other hurdles if they're, they're having a hard time because it is very common for people to shut off the nutrition thing and not want to look there yet. They don't, they're not ready to, to look in the mirror. Even yet. though they come to you for weight loss. Yeah. Or oh, you know how many, you know how many men and women that I've trained that were overweight and they had told me that they have avoided mirrors for the last five years. Oh, that's so, it's so crazy. It's so common. Think about that. Somebody who wants to lose weight, who's looking, they're looking for an aesthetic goal, drop this belly off me, Adam. And I asked them when the last time they looked in the mirror was, and they look at me and go like, I don't, I don't, I don't really look in the mirror. I don't don't really pay attention. Yeah. Yeah, It's crazy. So those people just are not ready to be aware of those things. The same thing is with nutrition. There's a lot of people who they're making excuses on why they're not tracking, but really they're just not in a place in their life yet where they're ready to admit what they're probably putting into their body yet. And that's really what's going on. Cause I mean, we all know how easy it is to do my fitness pal and fat secret. It doesn't get any easier than that. (laughs) I mean, you're already, and we all know that everybody's on their phone when they're eating anyways. Like nobody's even talking anymore to each other. Right. Yeah. Come on. Like it, that's purely a God. When I first, when I was first became a trainer, you used to have to get like a a pen and paper and a book. You'd have to have this book with you and you flip through it. And what's a serving size, three ounces of chicken and then write it in a journal. And that's, that was hard work back in the day. Yeah. These young kids have it so oh, easy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So moving on, I really wanted to talk about your thoughts and experience with macros and how you, I guess, optimize a ratio and what you do from a, a cycling point of view in terms of cycling carbs, fats, proteins, and, and even calories. So when it comes to macronutrients, we have to consider... You don't want Justin to answer this one? Yeah. Wait, 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 I got this one, guys. <laughs> yeah. We have to consider the the obvious, um, or or what a lot of people don't know actually is that there is a, a huge variance uh, between individuals in terms of how we respond to different macronutrient profiles. So earlier Adam was talking about how his girlfriend now eats, uh, you know, a, a a keto style diet and that works really well for her. Well, for some people, eating that way feels terrible. Uh, or eating that way, if there's certain polymorphisms which can cause you know blood lipids to be all over the place, and so ketogenic diet might not work for them. So, number one, uh, you got to listen to your body and really understand what works better for you and what makes you feel best. I've had clients who feel phenomenal eating a, a vegan diet, um, and I've had other clients who eat a, a very you know meat heavy type paleo diet. So that's that's number one. But number two, variety is always important. So it's easy to get stuck eating the same things. So talking keto again, if you're super ketogenic all the time, you tend to get stuck to, you know, the same, you know, six or seven foods. And it's important every once in a while to veer off and offer some variety. It's both good for your microbiome uh, diversity. It's also good to uh, resensitize your body to certain things. Um, In fact, uh, Dr. Mercola was a guest on our show recently, who's like the keto man, even suggests throwing in carbohydrates if you eat ketogenic you know, uh, once a, at least once a week uh, because keeping those carbohydrates low for too long all the time can cause some detrimental effects in the body. So when I recommend uh, macronutrient profiles to clients, first I pay attention to how, you know, certain macronutrients make them feel, but then I also uh, encourage that they fluctuate them uh, every once in a while. Um, protein is an, is, is an important one. Um, you know, we, uh, we all came from, uh, the, you know, the gym atmosphere, you know, people trying to build muscle and, you know, protein is kind of, uh, you know, heralded as this King. magic King. macronutrient. You can, you know, never eat too much of it and don't you dare eat too little of it and you need it for, it burns fat, builds muscle. It's like, it's magic. Um, the reality is eating high protein all the time desensitizes your body to protein, actually loses uh, a lot of its effect. Um, and may have some detrimental effects if you keep it high all the time. So even people trying to build muscle uh, will benefit from cycling protein here and there. So, um, and, and if we look from an evolutionary standpoint, we also need to consider that the human body evolved with natural variety. Foods changed with the seasons. Uh, we were, uh, you know, we did, you know, roam around the earth quite a bit. We weren't, we didn't settle until we discovered agriculture. And so our, our bodies do really, really well with a certain amount of variety. Um, and, and 
changing those macronutrients is, is a good way to do that. Now, I, I agree 100% with what Sal is saying, but I'm going to give you uh, probably more of what you're looking for, which is more of a percentage or a number of what I typically lean towards. So when I, when I start somebody off, like I tend to lean towards like a 30, 30, 40, so I, and 40% fat. So I like, mo- and that's just because in general, I think, and that's because of what we've seen over the last, you know, 10 years, uh, we demonize fat for a really long time. So I find that, uh, getting people to eat healthier fats, uh, tends to really help out a lot of people right out the gates. So, and it's not quite as crazy as a pure paleo or ketogenic diet. So it's not like, oh my God, I'm getting rid of all your carbs right out the gates. Cause I don't want to do that. Cause I know most people freak out. So I tend to lean towards, generally speaking, a 30-30-40 uh, split to start at. And then I kind of start to manipulate like what Sal is saying based off of what I'm starting to see, the way they're responding to the types of foods. Because some people, and this does happen, even though I'm putting them on a 40% uh, f- uh, fat diet, that's a lot for some people. Some people can't handle that much and they do respond that way. So I need to dip it down a little bit and then I end up putting up more uh, carbohydrates. So depending on the person, it does get manipulated. But for the most part, I feel like that ends up helping out a majority of the people when I first started, because I think it's very common for overconsumption of carbohydrates and sugar under consumption of healthy fats. So normally when I kind of flip the macro profile on its head and give them a bunch more healthy fats and pull back on the carbohydrates and sugar right away, I get a lot of really good feedback from the people like, oh, wow, like I just, I don't feel hungry all day long and my energy is more stable and my hair and my skin and my sleep and they start noticing all, and my strength in the gym. Like, so they start noticing a lot of those things. So that is the macro profile I tend to start with. And then just like Sal, I love, uh, I love taking people through all different types of eating, whether it be paleo and ketogenic or carb cycling. I love to teach all, um, all different all ways. All denominations. Yeah, all denominations yeah. Of, of nutrition. And I explain to them the benefits of all of them and how to utilize them. And while we're going through them, it's all about what works for your lifestyle and what, what do you feel you feel the best on. And, and then we try and work around that. But always keeping in mind what Sal is saying, that no matter what you decide you're going to, how you're going to eat, it is advantageous for us to be undulating and moving in and out and manipulating it. So even if the ketogenic diet works magic for you, you know, I still like, and that's why I said Katrina runs kind of what I meant by kind of a ketogenic diet is more like what Sal saying is she'll run ketogenic for five, six days out of the week. And then we introduce, you know, 150 grams of carbohydrates into her diet. And then it just, it, it totally spikes up her metabolism and she can feel it. She can see it. And then she goes right back to ketogenic. Undulating calories is important too. I think, uh, people, um, whether their goal is to gain weight or lose weight, uh, they, you know, a lot of trainers or coaches will put people on a specific amount of calories to stay the same every single day. Mm, Like, okay, mm. 2,500 calories, that's your target. We're going to eat that, you know, every single day. I think that's a problem too. Uh, you, you'll notice, uh, you know, the recent study was just, uh, I just saw a recent study where they had, um, young athletes, uh, go on a bulking diet where they were eating over consuming calories to gain weight. And in as little as two days, they started to ex- notice or, or through these tests, they could see that there was some insulin insensitivity going on where the body was becoming a little desensitized after just two days. So, uh, yeah, and we know that we evolved going through periods of, Overeating and undereating, and uh, even when I even when I put people on a diet, if uh, where I'm having them, you know, reduce their calories to lose weight, I still will have them have days in surplus, and it just works out better that way. It works out better behaviorally, but their bodies also respond, seem to respond better. We don't get this as many as much of a negative adaptation response with the metabolism that way. Um, it feels better. Some days will be much lower than others. Other days maybe this maybe maintenance, and other days maybe a surplus. Overall, if they're losing weight, having them in an overall uh, deficit, but that undulation, and it also mirrors real life. Well, it's so obvious why that. T- what's so crazy? A lot of people don't real think about this, but time is a made up thing. Yeah, time is made up. It's not a real thing. It's not like this. Like, oh, it's not like it, it, everybody run like our bodies run on this like noon to midnight clock. Or, I mean, like, you know, midnight to midnight clock. It doesn't work that way. So, you know, if you if you were over consuming one day, then you run it back another day and over consume, and then you do a third day in a row. You've been oversaturated and you're overspilling uh, like by day two. Like you like the study talks about. It's not we're not on these perfect clocks, so it doesn't make sense for us to stay to these exact calorie intakes every single day. And I, and Sal has, we all have different strategies on how we teach people. I teach people, 
to base it kind of off of your movement. So we all, because I got into using the Fitbit and I'm a, I'm a, I'm a firm believer in the benefits of having like a Fitbit or a Jawbone or one of these tools to track your movement throughout the day. And again, for the awareness piece, not to say, oh, it's the most accurate thing. That doesn't matter. It's more about consistency and learning about your patterns. And I always can take a client and say, look at, look at what your mo- looks like every Tuesday and Thursday. I don't know what the hell you're doing, but you step 50, 50, 000, I mean, you 50% less steps than you do the rest of the days. What's going on? Oh, well, that's the day where I have to work in the office and I'm there all day long. Okay, well, that's a good day for us to undulate your calories. How about that day? We're going to do a really low, those two days, we're going to go really low. And on the other days when you're exercising, you're moving and you're doing things, I'm going to let you have a bunch more calories. And it's like, it makes so much sense to them. And mo- more often than not, what you realize or what most people realize is that when we're sedentary and we're not doing anything, we tend to have the worst habits because we're bored. Because you're sitting in front of a computer, you're sitting at a TV, and you want to shovel something in your face. And when you start to make people aware of that, like, oh, look at you, constantly eating, and those are the days when you're moving the least. If we could just change that up a little bit, you'd notice a huge difference. Well, have you you messed around with a continual glucose uh, uh, monitor yet? Yeah, definitely. It's fascinating. Yeah. I can't wait till that becomes more uh, public as far as like people being able to use it and kind of track and see how their body responds, you know, with their insulin uh, to all these different macronutrients, because it's totally going to disrupt the way that we think about, you know, these percentages and, uh, you know, these general sort of standards that people have, uh, you know, whole nutritional camps based around. So I just, I just feel like there's a lot of room for improvement with, uh, understanding your body on an individual level. So, um, you know, that's, that's where I tend to to lean more and base it all around, uh, health markers as opposed to, um, you know, like physical performance all the time. Yeah. There was a, there was uh, some interesting studies that, uh, Rob Wolf cites in his book wired to eat where uh, they would study these continual glucose monitors and, you know, people would put them on and some people would have a higher insulin spike when they would eat, uh, you know, uh, something that you would never anticipate or never guess to cause something like that, like an avocado. Or they would eat a banana and it would give them a worse reaction than a cookie. Um, and it's so it just points to the, the difference between individuals. And, you know, the theory is that there's probably an immunological res- you know, response going on. Something's going with the immune system, perhaps a food intolerance that's causing that. Nonetheless, uh, it does highlight that people can be very different from one another. So there are general guidelines. Um, but uh, when we get specifics, you know, there is no better coach than your body. Once you learn how to read it and understand it. Um, that's it. You don't need to work with anybody else. Just listen to your body. I completely agree. I completely and the same agree. thing will happen with will protein happen intake, with you know, intake. where I think in the gym space, it's very easy to overeat protein. And we know gluconeogenesis can happen, which will definitely contribute to increasing insulin levels. So things like the, the glucose meter will allow us to tap into that. And then obviously, yeah, as you say, make those personalized adjustments. Well, yeah, you'll, you'll, you know, if you have, I mean, we, now we're starting to talk a little bit more about food intolerances because five years ago it wasn't really that big of a conversation. But if you have an intolerance to a food, if you have some sort, if you have you know excessive, you know gut you know lining permeability or intestinal permeability, and you've now developed uh, you know antibodies to a food that you eat all the time, and it could be the healthiest food in the world. Well, yeah, which be, by the way is normally the food that you've been eating a lot of. Well, and people don't realize. It. Yeah, yeah, and you could it could be a very healthy food. You know, you could mm-hmm. be eating an avocado and an, or an apple, um, and what's happening is your body's recognizing it as a foreign invader because it's per, it's going through where it's not supposed to, and your immune response is a cortisol spike, which then tells the liver to release, you know, a bunch of glycogen, and so now your blood sugar rises and your insulin rises, even though you're eating something totally healthy. Yeah. So it's 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 important to understand that because uh, that plays a big role. Yeah, for sure. That's a really interesting topic. Guys, I could talk to you all day, but I'm just really conscious of the time today. So I think what we'll do is um, direct our listeners to, you know, your online home and social media before we wrap up. And then we'll definitely get you back on the show because there's so many more questions and topics I want to explore with you. Much appreciated. So obviously our podcast is Mind Pump. You can find it on iTunes or other platforms. Um, We have a YouTube channel with where we post lots of different exercises and different uh, discussions video we, every single day. There's a new video every day. It's Mind Pump TV, and then our website is mindpumpmedia.com. You can find all of us on Instagram also, and it's Mind Pump Follow, and then our name. So Mind Pump Adam, Mind Pump Justin, and Mind Pump Sal. 
Amazing. I've loved our conversation today, guys. Definitely head to the show notes team to find out more about Mind Pump and I look forward to our next chat. Right on. Thank you. Cheers, guys. Cheers. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.